like I started today and I'm like, I have to just keep pace. Like, that's it. Just keep pace. Like, <laughs> Welcome to Pursuing Call, a place where we explore what God is up to in our lives so that we can participate in God's mission for the world. Find out more at pursuingcall.com. Let's get started. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another week's episode of Pursuing Call with me, your host, Tamara Plummer. I am so excited that you are here listening to another episode of my random conversations with wonderful people. This week, we get the pleasure of speaking with Gabrielle Rivero and her ministry of express and release therapeutic dance. We talk about movement, we talk about spirituality, we talk about growth. And I invite you all into this moment by taking a deep breath and releasing it taking a deep breath and releasing it and knowing that you are loved. Let us get started. Well, I'm Gabby. Um, My full name is Gabrielle, um, but everyone calls me Gabby. So who am I? It's not the question we're all really asking, right? (laughs) um, I am a therapeutic dancer. I am a writer. I am a speaker. Um, I technically am still a theologian. Um, And yeah, that's kind of, so more of that backstory. Um, Basically, I went to Fuller back in 2015 Mm -hmm. um, and I got a master's in theology. But I went to Fuller with this idea that I was going to, get a degree focusing on kids because that was like my thing pre-fuller. I started a nonprofit when I was an undergrad. I like had a plan like, and I knew my plan and I was just going to fuller to finish my plan. And I was like, I'm going to get a master's in theology and focus on kids so I can graduate and then go and serve kids across the world. And then I'm like two weeks into fuller and I feel like I just like, like something just felt weird. And, and I was a dancer, like I've been a dancer for a long time and that's a whole other story, but I was, I'm a, I've been a dancer for a long time and I'm at Fuller and I just like everything, every door started closing for me. So I kept trying to like do different things. And every time I kept trying to like do something with kids, I'm like, it just doesn't feel right. I don't know what's going on. So then I went to a dance studio I'm at the dance studio and the instructors there were like, Hey, you should try out for our scholarship program. And I'm like, you're what? And they're like, the scholarship program, it's for dancers that would want to be professional dancers one day. Like you should try out for that. And we train you, we do 60 hours a week, like for six months, and we do intense training for these dancers. And I was like, me? No, me? Okay, okay. So I tried out and ended up making it. And then my whole world became dance mm-hmm. and I'm still at Fuller and I'm still like in these classes and trying to understand religion and trying to understand theology. Um, but now my world is movement in religion. So then I kind of, at that point, I start started just kind of feeling like something, like I was missing something, like something was shifting. And at that point I started really getting this conviction that like, 
I needed to start figuring out how do we understand movement? How Mm. do we understand our bodies? How do we engage with this idea of dance? Because in all the Christian spaces I have been in, dance has always just been this complicated subject. It's Mm. always been, do we like it? Do we not like it? Is Mm. it um, igniting sexual desires? Is it not? Is it promiscuous? Is it not? Mm -hmm. Is it banned? Is it allowed? Like in Mm -hmm. every space had different reasonings and every space kind of weirdly rejected it. But then I started noticing culturally we were rejecting it. Mm -hmm. I'm in LA and I'm like now dancing. And then in all the dance spaces in LA, dancers were consistently treated less than all the other actors. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, whoa, okay. And then I started realizing, okay, this isn't just a religious thing. This is now spreading out to our whole culture. So what is happening? Like, how did we get here? Um, so then I basically spent my next three years at Fuller trying to figure out how did we get here? What, what is going on historically that has allowed us to reject dance? And as I started doing that research on why do we reject dance, it started connecting to that we rejected the body, that we rejected mm-hmm. the emotions. And that they all were one. So then I was like, well, then how do we accept it? How do we now reconnect the body? And last year is when I decided to step out and I started a company where I basically help adults and kids learn how to express emotions with the body. That's me. When did you first dance? When was the first time you remember doing movement to sound, I guess? As a baby. So um, and our, so I'm Bahamian mm-hmm. um, and culturally dance was just a part of what we did. So mm-hmm. whether it was a celebration, whether it was a funeral, dance was always engaged as a practice. Um, so we were allowed to do it in those spaces, mm-hmm. but then outside of those spaces. So my, my parents were very conservative Christians at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of the family, it was very much just wrong. So okay. I wasn't allowed to train. I wasn't allowed to practice it. I wasn't allowed to go to school dances. I wasn't allowed to have any engagement with dance outside of us just dancing together as a family. So when did you start doing like dance, dance, uh, you know, professional training and stuff? Yeah. So I technically did my first dance type thing when I was in seventh grade mm. because as I said, my family was very religious and in that conservative religious space it there was an element of like saving face that you had to do the right thing um, to make sure everyone knew that you were the right type of Christian mm-hmm. and when we were at this uh, Assemblies of God church the pastor was talking to my parents and they're like hey your daughter's like she looks like she'd be really great at dancing she seems like she really enjoys that you should put her in on the dance team and for my mom's sake she's like ah I don't like this, but I have to save face. Like, I can't say no. Mm -hmm. So she was like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, she should go do it. So I did. So I was able to join. It was a hip hop dance team. Okay. uh, which this is, is like a lit- wait is this like a hip-hop liturgical dance team because this is I'm loving it <laughs> well okay it was hip-hop yeah I guess it was a hip-hop liturgical dance team yeah I am loving this yeah so that's how I started I started in hip-hop so they would do like songs on like Ty Trebet um and like Kirk Franklin and then they would do dance pieces to them. I see little Gabby stomp <laughs> stop yep. uh 
to some Kirk Franklin happening. Yes, it was. <laughs> I love hate liturgical dance. It is the most amazing and horrifying thing about church life. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So it was me. I was in there. I was doing my stuff. I was, and everyone was like, she's so good. Look at her, look at her go. And at first I was all about it. And then it was at a certain point that I was dancing that I'm like, wait a second, I'm just performing. Mm. But everything I was being taught in the church that we were in was like, no, no, you do it for the Lord. No, no, no. This mm. is for God's glory. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, no. I'm, I'm performing. Mm-hmm. So either we have to figure out how to reframe movement in these spaces so that it's not just a performance mm-hmm. or we can't do dance in this way because we are all just performing for and what if performance is actually just an expression, a different expression of the ritualistic practices, like isn't can't performance be liturgical as well. Right? As the, yeah. Yeah. So then mm-hmm. I started asking those questions. So when I was. 18 or 17 really and I was getting ready to leave the house um because for me I was that kid at first I had no idea what I was doing with my life and I was like who am I I don't care I don't I'm not trying to find anything and you know I was one of those edgy teens right Mm -hmm. um especially in the early 2000s so I'm I'm like yeah so um I had a dream one night as my friend asked me like what are you going to do when you grow up and I was like I don't know Um, and he's like okay so I ended up going to bed that night and that night I had this dream And in my dream, I saw kids like everywhere and I saw myself leading them in movement. And these were like, and I can tell like I was in like low income areas and I remember those like graffiti on the wall and like there were all these people around, but mostly it was just like low income kids. And I could tell they were low income based by the things I saw. And I was in this building and I was leading them in movement and they were all moving with me. And I woke up that morning and I was like, I don't know what I want to be. But whatever that was, I want to do that. Mm. So I basically just decided I was going to pursue everything to get there. So when I got to 17, I was going to college. I remember I was, everyone at that point knew that was what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And my mom came up to me and she was like, this dance stuff is crazy. Like you can't keep doing this stuff. And I'm like, why not? And she's like, what's for the devil? And I'm like, okay, but can't God redeem it? Right. And I was like, and if so, how? And she was like, well, no, it's, it's demonic. It's spiritual. It's, it's no, you can't do it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, let me see if there's a way that this can be done in a, in a way that a, people approve of in Christian spaces. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what I went out to try to figure out. So when I graduated, I ended up getting, I was at university of Florida. And while I was there, I started um, a nonprofit for kids and, it was all art-based and we did dance and we did uh, music and we did everything. We had painting and drawing and theater. And in all of that, I I just kept seeing how the kids just kept coming back to movement. And I remember one kid came came there one day and he was like, just looked super pissed. I'm like, what's wrong? And he was like, well, I had a really bad day. And I'm like, do you want to talk about it? He was like, no, I just want to dance it. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, okay, let's do that, right? So that became the language of like, I just, I want to dance it. How can I just dance it? Mm, I love that. I just want to dance it. Yeah. So often we ask children to to verbalize mm-hmm. them as their selves. It would be really interesting to think about 
all the disciplinary or growth edgy ways to engage a kid's body and dancing it. Like, what does it feel right now? Dance it, you know? Yeah. And that's actually what I do. (laughs) Oh, Uh, awesome. Yeah. Like that's literally what I do is basically inviting kids to express how it feels in their body. So Mm -hmm. I started with my kid um, last year, he was having this huge tantrum. And I mean, like, I mean, he was four at the time. So like, typical, right. (laughs) But this time, like he wasn't calming down and he started screaming and he was taking stuff and throwing it. And I'm like, okay, okay. We're hitting like rage levels. Like let's figure out how to like bring this down. But my thing, because all my research I've done, I was like, I don't want you to think your anger is bad. Like Mm -hmm. I want you to know that your anger is good and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with feeling angry, but we have to figure out ways to express it. Right. So it was like in that moment, out of nowhere, I just was like, Hey, take the anger off from your head. And he like stops and he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Take it from your head. And he's like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, all right, all right. Now move to the shoulders. And I'm like, take the anger off from your shoulders. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, okay, now get to your chest. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, now to the belly. And he's like, yeah. And by the time I get to the feet, he is fully dancing. And he's never had practice. Like at that point, we never even put him in a dance class. Mm-hmm. And he felt free to express himself, that his mm-hmm. lines were gorgeous. His movements were beautiful. And it was almost as if he was just letting it all go. Mm-hmm. And he finished. And I was like, and at that point, like he finishes and it's like five minutes goes by. And I asked him like, how are you feeling? He's like, I feel good. And I'm like, what happened? Like, what was going on? He was like, oh, my head was hurting. Okay. Oh. Well, we can help with that, bud. And he's like, yeah. okay, sounds good. Cool. Oh. And everything's passed away. And I was like, whoa, what if we gave kids opportunities to mm. just express those things, like express those big emotions, mm-hmm. take it, like take it off of your body. Yeah. Like, what does anxiety feel like internally? Mm-hmm. And find ways to show it externally. What does joy feel like or sadness? And mm-hmm. then those emotions don't feel so overwhelming. They become, it becomes a, a, a tangible entryway into feeling the emotion. And maybe even like digging deeper than your head. Cause sometimes yeah. I'll think that my therapist and I spend a lot of time talking about desire. And mm-hmm. she's like, what do you desire? And I realize I've not spent a lot of time in my life thinking about what I desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of, I'm imagining the ways that movement, you're like, wait, what's happening? Oh, well, my throat is really holding some, something's happening to my throat right now. Yeah. Oh, I feel, I feel like I am being silenced. That's, yeah. oh, that, so actually my anger right now is not about the stupid thing that you're saying. My anger is about my desire to say something that I feel like I can't, I don't have the safe space to say, yeah. okay, now I can engage with, I can figure out an adult way to engage in this, yeah. <laughs> this conversation rather than be like, you're a fucking jerk. For <laughs> right. It's like, oh, wait, what do I desire? What do I want? What do I need for myself? Now, if I can figure it out in my body, now I can figure out how to express what I actually want and need. Yeah. And it's interesting when you start like letting the body speak like that, mm-hmm. the body actually, like you'll start to see images of like, like one time I was doing movement with people and I started to see like an image of someone like holding my throat. And I'm like, Oh, do I feel like, like I'm not safe or do mm-hmm. I feel like I can't speak? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's something to explore. Like mm-hmm. and it's interesting as you like, even just start listening to the body, 
Because all the research now is coming out that says, oh, the body keeps the score. The body holds the score. Yeah, Yeah, like the body knows. The body is telling you stuff. And now it's like, okay, but how do we listen to it? But that makes me think more about your research that you did around this disembodied piece. I think so much of our problems in this world is, especially when people are locked up in a house for years, um, we are a very disembodied culture in the West. Yeah. And it is... it. All this research is really about trying to get people to just be their natural selves, which is very hilarious. Um, but how do we, what did you learn about what brought us to this place of disembodiment and what might we do to kind of counteract that? Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially, in all my research, I basically pinned it all back to Plato, Plato and the mm-hmm. early philosophers mm-hmm. and their language of the body and mm-hmm. how for them the body was basically this, this thing that was separating them from God. Mm. That they were unable to attain oneness with God because of their body, because of the emotions that they had. And they wanted to disconnect from the body so that they can become one. So they basically created this head and just chopped off the rest. And they, and they, and, and like the, the, the book of Phaedo, like even says it, like, let me just, die so I can become one with you and I don't have to no longer have this body that's holding mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. But over time that language kept being reinforced that the body was giving these was was leading us into sexual desires that the body was leading us into any type of desire whether desire and Descartes says the desire to eat was even something that they wanted to not have so so that they can be one with God. So over time in Christianity whether we understood it or, or, or not, that language has kept being reiterated that mm-hmm. even now in Christianity, we have that language of, we have to die to the self mm-hmm. that everything about the body we're killing, we're destroying. We say no to the body. Mm-hmm. So then we have this being that God has given us and we say, no, we can't actually be and be and live inside of it, which we're is wild. Dying. Yeah. Right. Like, Which is wild from the, like, when I think about the creation, even when I just said, I, I don't know what I desire that I have to like be reminded that I have desires that somehow yeah. desiring is not, is not, uh, influenced by God or yeah. some kind of conduit to what God is calling us into being. Yeah. Um, and that, that I'm, 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 my mind is going insane with, with what you were saying. Um, the ways in which Christianity disembodied us took away our our idea that god and desire are interconnected (laughs) any kind of desire yes literally (laughs) and and that was supposed to and not having desires and not having a body would connect us to god when god literally gave us naked bodies as like the second creation story there the reason they get in trouble is because they realize yes that they are naked (laughs) and 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 then it was there was nothing wrong with them. There was nothing wrong. The <laughs> nakedness was right. The clothing yes. was the part that was wrong. Yes. But we're so, because of that, we're now so afraid to live in it. We're mm-hmm. so afraid to live in the bodies that we have. We're afraid to look at them. We're afraid to engage with them because we don't know them. Mm-hmm. We are so disconnected from them. So, so much like, so much of my classes with adults, it literally is teaching adults, how do we reconnect to the body? How do we become one with the self that when our shoulders hurt, we can see that we Mm. can engage with that. 
because we spend so much of our time doing life and our bodies are sending signals and we just stay ignoring them. Our bodies are saying, I'm sad. And we're just like, no, you don't exist. Our bodies are saying, I'm angry. No, no, we're good. And we have literally learned how to just ignore every part of ourselves. Hmm. So where now it's like, but, but those parts are good. Yeah. Those parts are beautiful. And, and necessary to and, our survival. Yes. Right. right. And I mean, now it's, how do we tap into those things now? Especially for black and brown. But I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, what, what we're talking about would be considered somatic theology, yes. right? Um, and somatic knowledge that, especially if you are from a class of people whose bodies were uh, used as chattel yeah. and your ancestors were made into chattel, that there's there's a way in which disembodiment becomes a survival technique. Yes, definitely. But then that also means that you can't address your own body's wounds, Yes, which manifest and- as diabetes, high blood pressure. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, and even right now, like for the last, what, few years where um, the recent George Floyd murder happened. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, I mean, I myself, I'm a black woman, like, and I remember all of us just being like, we're so angry, but we have no space to express that. Mm. So we literally learned to just shut it off because we didn't feel safe to be angry. We had so many black men that were like, I'm enraged but I can't be enraged and I have no safe space to be enraged. Right. America, A place where my rage can be heard, accepted, allowed, uh, encouraged, celebrated, (laughs) affirmed. Exactly. So where I've been like, how do we create spaces where black and brown bodies can come together and be angry Mm -hmm. and sit in that anger? How do we communally have joy and lament? How do we express ourselves in ways that people can't take away from us or make us feel like we are not allowed to express? Because that's what's happened for so long. Like we've never felt safe as black and brown bodies mm-hmm. to, to be black and black and brown, like mm-hmm. to be angry or frustrated with what's going on as we watch our brothers and sisters get murdered every other day by black by officers that don't even get recorded or don't even get publicized mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so much it's less like, the, the everyday non-physical microaggressions moments, microaggressions that are just like <laughs> i remember yes. this when when lockdown started uh as someone who has high blood pressure and diabetes uh my sugars went down yeah. my blood pressure went down i was not around white people <laughs> for two months I, they were on the screen, but I didn't really have to deal with those people. I yeah. could just, it was, it was a lovely time. Those yeah. first two months of, I mean, it was sad because we were locked down and I live in New York and many people were dying and that part was hard, but it was amazing to me how disconnecting from the anxieties of the world. Like yeah. I didn't really watch a lot of new, I kind of shut off the news. I was trying not to like pay attention to anything that wasn't <laughs> in my house yeah (laughs) that like everything my body was like oh this is I was exercising I was doing (laughs) movement and not just to lose weight just because like I don't have anything else yes yeah um Beyonce's homecoming came out that became yes I remember yes (laughs) that was like a dance party in the house every time I watched it like there's a way in which 
that movement really can be a place of healing. Can we talk more about your religious development and your spiritual development and how that informs maybe where you started on this journey and and how you, how that might have evolved over time. Definitely. So like I said, I started in a very conservative Assemblies of God church um, mm-hmm. where dance was accepted. Let me just, and I, and I say that because I say conservative, but there's a level of conservatism. Yes. There's many <laughs> levels. Yes. Right. Yeah. So it was conservative for its time. Right. And I started there and I basically started there when I was in middle school. And I kind of just believed in God and kind of didn't question anything and was just all in, in some ways, however you want to define all in. Sorry, question. Just want to geographically locate. Where did you grow up? Florida. Florida. Okay. Yes. Uh, Daytona beach area. So give it even more context. Um, And even worse, Palm coast area. So these words, I don't know, but this, for those who are listening, it sounds the faces that are being made. So, (laughs) yeah. So there was a lot of conservatism around me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a reason why 45 was in Florida. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so I grew up there and uh, basically started in that space and then went to college and um, was a part of Chi Alpha in college, which is another conservative Assemblies of God, like college group. And at that point, like I legitimately was just like all in, this is it. Everything, the Bible is correct a hundred percent, but it doesn't necessarily work for me all the time being a black Mm -hmm. female, but no, I'm still Mm -hmm. all in because I was told this is right. These are wrong. Believe Mm -hmm. in this way. And then I got to Fuller in 2015. Why did you end up going to Fuller? Because Fuller does not seem like the natural choice for an Assemblies of God follower. Great question. Um, so I got to Fuller for a couple of reasons. One, I had a friend that was at um, the my undergrad with me that when I ended up graduating, she ended up going to Fuller mm. and she used to talk to me about it. And I was like, oh, it sounds like a really cool college. And like I said, in the beginning, I was really devoted to kids at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was looking around for places that had a master's with children or family or something. So then my friend that was at Fuller called me and was like, hey, Fuller has a master's in, um, uh, what is it, child, fam- child children and families. Okay. And I was like, oh, what? Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. So I was looking into it and there was one of the only few places that like had a master's in children and families, like specifically. That didn't Menace, it's family. like children and family ministry. Yeah, or, I think that's okay. what it is. Um, so I was like, that's what I was specifically one of the reasons I was going there. And then my husband at that time, was also like, yeah, I want to go to Fuller. He's like, I want to be a church pastor, a church consultant. And I'm like, okay, we're going. So we packed up our bags. And 20- Wait, hold on. We pause. We pa- let's just pause. <laughs> you are a college student who is married? No. Okay. So I just graduated college. So and I then- was engaged my senior year. Of okay. You are one of those conservative Christians. I was. <laughs> when I say conservative, I mean like I was all the way in. Mm-hmm. I was drinking the Kool-Aid, 100%. Um, so yeah, so we graduated, we were, we were married when we graduated. So I, I think I got married a month after my graduation. Wow. And then we packed up and we moved down to South Florida together and we were living in South Florida for the first year and we hated it. And we were also kind of like anything to get us out of here. Like Mm. (laughs) we're, we're good. Like we want to just go. So he got into Fuller. I got into Fuller. 
and we packed up and said, let's go to California. So we got there in 2015 and Fuller changed everything. Mm. I mean, Fuller is, anyone that doesn't know, Fuller is um, a non-denominational seminary, which I now recommend for everybody that's looking at seminary to go to a non-denominational one. Mm. Um, Because as I noticed in seminaries, oftentimes, depending on the denomination, it ends up teaching to that specific Right. And what that domination believes. So for Fuller, non-denominational. So they weren't telling us the answer. Mm-hmm. What they did instead was said, hey, all of these um, different denominations believe these different things. Mm-hmm. You choose. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, no. But there has to be an answer. They're no. like, no. Mm-mm. I mean, that's the problem with seminary. I would say for anyone who is trying to go to seminary, if you're going to seminary to find answers, that is not the reason you go to seminary. No, no, <laughs> it will wreck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Seminary is not the place for certainty answers. No, no. It, it. I basically learned uh, there's so much more gray than I think I was ever. I mean, that I was ever taught. So as I was learning, and it made me feel good. I mm. felt safe in the gray because, like I said before, like the Bible didn't include me Mm-mm. so being a black female I kept trying to find ways to insert myself into the story mm. but I didn't exist in the story mm-hmm. so when Fuller started saying yeah what you're feeling is real and the bible doesn't include you so how do you make space for yourself and I was like whoa or the ways that we have been taught the Bible doesn't include us. As or if all we... those people were not North Africans and people in who are very brown bodied and all these yeah. things. But or, it's or fine. Even all the women that we say that right. are all the e- the what is the right word? The the, the unclean women mm-hmm. that we put in that box. So the stories mm-hmm. that we just kind of cover up, we don't talk about. Like mm-hmm. and so why is that unclean and all those questions. I mean, like the only directly black woman in the bible is in song of songs which is all erotic poetry so <laughs> what is yeah. that like, right yeah right so so as that started happening for me that almost became permission for me to kind of change a little bit to say mm-hmm. okay it doesn't have to be black and white anymore mm-hmm. um, i remember at full i took a world of religions course and for so long it was just Christianity is the way this is it. There's nothing else like everything. Everyone needs to know God right now in this way. And mm-hmm. I took the four religions course. And in this course, they started talking about how there's different ways people can come to God. And well, in Catholicism, there's the idea that there's different ways people can come to God. And they were saying like, one of the ways was that someone didn't actually have to change their faith, but that God was big enough that he can meet anybody where they are at right now Mm -hmm. in that moment and it was the first time that christianity no longer became a colonizing thing Mm -hmm. no longer became this oppressive thing that was removing culture that was removing like people's identity Mm -hmm. but it ended up saying no god is bigger than that god can be anybody anywhere with anything and it didn't have to be this one specific way that i was taught Mm -hmm. so then i found myself just kind of like opening up <laughs> how did that feel in your body was that like freedom or was that I, I think I've seen in seminary for some people I've seen who come from that tradition losing that certainty yeah was a destruction for them 
And for other people, it was an opportunity for even deeper engagement with their own faith practice or with new ways of understanding um, their, their, their relationship to the divine or Christianity or Jesus or whatever. How did you fit in that spectrum? Yeah. So for me, I felt like more like like an open meal. It Mm -hmm. felt more like I can now see God in so many more ways Mm. that it was no longer boxed in to what this ideology said, but there were so many things that I didn't even know that I now felt more comfortable living in the gray than I felt being in the black and the white. Like, mm-hmm. But it was funny. My husband on the other end was completely broken. Mm-hmm. He was like, I mean, even now he's still like, who is God? What happened? Mm-hmm. But part of that is for him, he's, he's Hispanic, but he was able to pass as a white man for so long. Mm-hmm. So for him, the Bible was safe. Mm-hmm. The Bible was everything was taught and and preached, put him as almost the authoritarian figure. Like Mm -hmm. it gave Mm -hmm. him the power. Mm -hmm. And then when he got to seminary and seminary was like, yeah, no. When James Cone is like, Jesus is a black man. (laughs) Like He's like, okay, whoa. Then Mm -hmm. can anything stand if the Bible is not just this authoritarian, like, Mm thing so he's still trying to figure he's like I think maybe I'm universalist Christian universalism maybe I'm just like not he's like I don't know what I am so far I know maybe there's God maybe there's not I'm gonna keep trying to figure out each day so Mm -hmm. we both kind of land in different spots but going to the same classes going to the same courses um but a lot of it for me was I was a black female like it already didn't make sense to me fully it already Mm -hmm. felt like I had to find the gray and the things that was being taught. You already had to compromise with the Bible and negotiate. Yeah. So once I got permission, I was like, thank you. Like, finally, I Mm -hmm. I feel seen again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you're welcome to the Episcopal Church at any time. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I've been on the Episcopal Church. (laughs) (laughs) But not that I I believe in recruitment. Um, (laughs) I, I think people should come to, to whatever place they want to. Um, we are not going to have very exciting services, so sorry. Um, but I do, I think what I appreciate about my upbringing is the fact that grade was a starting point. Mm. And so while it is not helpful for faith formation for young people sometimes, um, having having the whole both can be true and it might be a third answer yeah. <laughs> was was a helpful way for me to this when I got to seminary and they were like write a psalm in your own words I was like yes this makes sense Vatican II it said that we're supposed to make everything in our own words in our own experience that makes sense like oh uh yeah of course Jesus is black duh that makes a lot more sense than whatever y'all got told um all of that felt very resonant to me and it, it felt good to live in a place like oh yes I can live so it is it is it is interesting to me how we can respond to to that stimulus to say what if all of it is wrong. Yeah. We are going to pause right here and I hope that you return next week because I get to post in advance for part 2 of my conversation with Gabby. In the meantime, may you find space for your body, find space for your stories, find space for your questions. 
find space for your rocky foundations that are being questioned and challenged and space to know that you are loved. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Pursuing Call. I can't wait to hear about how you are exploring God's voice so that you can participate in God's mission and dream for our world. Send your email and comments to Tamara at PursuingCall.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A at P-U-R-S-U-I-N-G-C-A-L-L dot com. You can also visit PursuingCall.com to learn more about what I'm exploring and envisioning and thinking about. Thank you so much and have a wonderful and beautiful day. Go in peace to love and serve.